Uh, let me just look at you for a minute here. Okay, well, if you've um, known me for a while, you've probably heard this talk about 10 times because it's my favorite talk uh, because I think it's, at least in my own somewhat checkered practice, I would say it's probably the most important um, teaching that I have found to be the most helpful. I mean, that's a pretty dangerous thing to say because it's not really true, but anyhow. Um, there's this term that we hear a lot in Buddhism. Uh, the second Bodhisattva vow, delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. And then Dogen talks a lot about delusion as well. In the Genjo Koan, he says, those who have great realization of delusion are Buddhists. And those who are greatly deluded about realization are sentient beings. Hmm, that's kind of interesting. If delusions, if we're supposed to end delusions, doesn't that mean they're bad? supposed to get rid of them what what's Dogen saying here that those who have great realization of delusion are Buddhas hmm. and then Dogen again in guidelines to practicing the way he says you should know that arousing practice in the midst of delusion you attain realization before you recognize it so again it's a little interesting one would think Delusions are bad, supposed to end them. But now here Dogen is again saying, actually, that's where to arouse practice is exactly in the midst of delusion. So I think it bears a little bit of investigation about what's, uh, what's being talked about here. Oh my goodness. What a pleasant and most delightful surprise. Welcome. <laughs> so first of all, you know, some of you may um, have heard the word delusion in the Buddhist context a lot and probably could give a pretty good definition of it. Uh, so maybe some of you haven't, though. So I want to just start by offering a few definitions before I talk about why I think this is such a fundamental and helpful and liberative uh, teaching. So there's a variety of ways we, we could define it. Define it. Um, when I was at the practice period in 2006 with uh, Rev Anderson as the teacher, I, I he talked a lot about delusion. Um, and I went into Dokusan with him and I said, what is delusion? What's the, what's the definition of delusion? And at that time, who knows what he'd say now, but at that time he said, it's the a priori self that you bring forward to live this life. That was one thing that he said. And what does that mean? A priori, me, a priori means, um, 
a reasoning or a knowledge that proceeds from theoretical deduction rather than observation or experience. So it's the self that I have a theory about that I bring forward rather than the self that I might come to know through my observation or my experience. A cognitive representation which doesn't exist except for in our mental constructs. So basically it's the stories that we make up about what we think reality is. It's that little voice in the head. And famously, sometimes when you say that, people will say, what little voice in my head? And I'll say, the one who just said that, that one. So, but it's not only the little voice in the head, it's the dots that we connect. It's the meaning that we make. It's the um, reasoning that comes from theoretical deduction. Oh, this means that, and that means that, and because that happened, therefore, this is what's going to happen. And I know that this is true because it's, I'm thinking it in my head and I believe it. And so that's delusion because you don't know. You don't know. You don't know if it's true or not, unless you're actually, actually in the moment, really engaging with whatever it is in your body, in the moment, knowing it intimately. If it involves another human being, you're asking that other human being, tell me more. What does this mean to you? Before you start making up what you think it means to them. So there's a couple of classic Buddhist stories that I think are worth always worth telling because they're such simple and great examples of this. One of them is you're walking along the trail at night and all of a sudden you scream in terror because there's a snake in the path and your adrenaline starts pumping and, and you're gonna start running away and then all of a sudden you look closer and you go, oh, it's just a rope. It's just a coiled piece of rope in the path. So what was that adrenaline for? It was this presumption that one made about that that was a snake. And the body reacts instinctively. Our bodies react instinctively when we have these, you know, um, kind of fight or flight uh, presumptions. So in that way, for survival in the, you know, wild days of snakes and lions and stuff, uh, this tendency to be able to, to try to make up and in, in infer what you think things are was actually very helpful as a survival strategy. It's, it's helpful to be able to quickly go, is it going to eat me or not? You know, and if it is, I'm out of here. That's a good thing. But it gets a little bit more complex in our human realm where it's not so simple. And where our brains have these functions, these neuro, um, neurological functions, these parts of our brains that store memory and color the memory and, and are attracted to negative memory. The amygdala is the part of the brain that kind of is the, the part that stores uh, information about memory. And it tends to, it skews towards the negative. Again, it's a survival strategy 
to skew towards the negative, to presume it's a harmful world out there, to presume that those things are dangerous and I need to be wary. So again, it's not like it's a bad thing. However, it can be harmful to us. And um, let me talk about a few of the ways that it can be harmful. One of the ways is that um, Like I was saying, this fight or flight um, instinct that can get triggered by the presumption that something is dangerous when it is actually not dangerous, um, past memories of fear that then begin to color our present experience is the source of anxiety. That, that obsessive worry that we get oh no, that is that bad thing happened and it's gonna happen again. I know it's gonna happen again. And, and this is the kind of situation where it happens. Those are the kind of people that it happens with. It becomes, uh, it has a life of its own and it generates anxiety. It makes us perceive reality as threatening. It exhausts our system when the fight or flight um, chemicals like adrenaline pump throughout our system ongoingly. It also um, reenacts the wounding of the sad story. That bad thing that happened to me so long ago is still happening to me because I continue to turn it over in my mind. I continue to, to polish my precious, precious stone of my suffering. And it can also be harmful to others because this tendency, we make others into objects and we make up stories about them and we think we know why they do what they're doing. We impute, we impute uh, on them. <laughs> Have you ever experienced being made into an object by somebody else's fear or anxiety or anger? What does that feel like? not asking you to say it out loud, just feel, re refer to that, that, remember that feeling in your body of what that feels like. Oh no, wait, that's not what happened. Wait, you don't understand. What, you said what? But that's not what I meant. Why didn't you ask me? Why didn't you check it out with me? Fake news. Fake news. And it's harmful to the earth, this tendency that we have to make objects, to not recognize our, our deep intimacy with all beings, this tendency to think that we're separate. That's another uh, definition that uh, Reb offered in that same uh, practice period. He said, another way you can think about delusion is when we don't think that we're part of our causal network, when we don't think that we're part of our causal network, that's delusion. Because we are, everything is related. So this is kind of serious stuff. This is the 
substance of suffering. This is why I think it's so important to, to, to actually taste this. To taste this, it's kind of a bitter aspect of our humanity. I remember when um, I was studying with Catherine and, um, you know, I'm a pretty happy person and I, I like joy and I like love and I still do. <laughs> I, I Even more than ever, you know, and I was always pretty happy around here and everything. And I remember one time I said to her, what, what? I was pretty young in practice. I said, what should, what should I study, Catherine? She goes, study the aggression of your ego. And I did. I did. My teacher said to study the aggression of my ego. And so I did. I started to pay attention to this dynamic and start watching. What, what do I say in my head? What's the substance of what I'm saying? How do I interact with others? And it was very, very humbling to discover that the door, the swinging door between love and hate the what controlled whether that door was going to swing to love or to hate was right here and right here. However, that's also profoundly liberating because you, then you don't have to be waiting for some external teaching to enlighten you. And you don't have to wait till you meet the right guru or you take the right you know, you have to write the, the right medicine with the right shaman or whatever the thing is that you're doing to, you know, try to try to have some kind of way to, to attain liberation. When you start seeing through this and really become intimate with your own delusion, your own special flavor of how you do this, then you are actually the one who is able to turn the wheel and and liberate yourself and liberate others from the oppression of this delusion. It's the Four Noble Truths. Same thing. This is one of those things, you know, the more you study, you start kind of seeing that all the teachings are basically saying the same thing. So the Four Noble Truths is, is arousing practice in the midst of delusion. And it's also telling us about the source of delusion, right? The first noble truth, suffering exists. Suffering exists. The second noble truth, there, there can be a cause for this suffering. And by suffering, of course, I'm not talking about like if a tree falls on you and hits you and you're suffering or if somebody comes up and, and shoots you with a gun and, and you're like suffering from that, that's, that's not, this suffering is not talking about that. It's talking about the kind of suffering where the cause of this suffering is your own mind, body, speech, and mind. That's, that's the suffering here that we're talking about. So there, this suffering can be caused by our own body, speech, and mind. And the third noble truth is that it is possible to liberate ourselves. Cessation. It is possible to liberate ourselves from suffering. And the fourth noble truth is there's a way of life that supports this liberation. 
So in the story of, you know, that I'm telling about delusion, uh, the, the way to liberate ourselves from the suffering of the stories that we make up in our mind, the way we grasp onto reality and try to fix it and into a thing that we can control rather than just letting it flow and being with it, right? Um, the way to um, liberate ourselves is really to study our delusion, to become intimate with our delusion. So it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz, right? We just see that it's this, you know, skinny little dude behind the curtain that's, that's making all this stuff happen. The skinny little dude in our heads, you know, that's making all this stuff up and telling us what to think and what to do rather than actually being present. So one of the things that um, uh, I'm going to want to do in the class that I'm going to be teaching, which is going to be um, the first two Sundays and the last Sunday in March, the first class, we're going to be really studying more about delusion and we're going to be studying it intimately. We're going to be studying our own flavors of delusion. And this is why I'm asking that we not do it on Zoom because I want it to be a private and personal space where people can come and talk about the things that you struggle with, the stories you make up in your head or that others make up about you that you struggle with and not have to feel like we're broadcasting it you know, to the universe, but just really having it be a conversation that we're having with each other um, in, in the room. And so um, then uh, the second class, we're going to focus on the liberation part, arousing practice in the midst of delusion, because this is the happy part of the story. You know, the bittersweet, difficult part of the story is to really rub our faces Rub, it, rub our noses in the um, ways that this tendency creates harm for ourselves and others. However, flipping it, it's actually liberative to study that. And it can be a source of joy. And that's where Dogen is saying that we arouse our practice right in the middle of it. Because it's the real deal. It's the real deal. It's the real deal of each of our lives about where we need to wake up. It's like a wake, a, what do they call those? A wake up bell, right? It's like a wake up bell. Ding, there it is. There's that little voice. Ding, I'm doing it again. Ding, wow. You know, it's, it's a wake up bell, our own personal wake up bell. Again, I, I keep talking about red because uh, I just this this practice period we talked so much about delusion and I've really been thinking about about it uh, a lot. He also talked about oh this but this wasn't at the practice period. This was actually in Monterey Bay and Center. Um, he was giving a talk and he talked about uh, delusion as uh, let me find, see if I can find that quote because it's really uh, oh I don't think I have it. Um, but I can make, I can remember it. He talked about it being like our family because your delusion is your family. You're all, we always want to leave our family. I don't like my family. You know, I, I did like my family. Thank you, family. I had a good family. But a lot of times 
we don't like our company. And I had parts of, I did want, I mean, I had to, I couldn't wait to leave home at 17. I did have to get away. And I definitely had some struggles with, with my family. But a lot of times we think, oh, I got to leave my family. That's where I'm going to be happy. But you can't leave your family because they're your DNA. Because they, it's nice to study, when we study our delusion, sometimes we hear the voices of our family. And that's really helpful. Oh, it's actually not my voice. That's mom, or that's grandma, or that's uncle, or that's my, you know, fourth grade teacher, or that's the priest or whoever. You know, we get these voices in our head and we think they're real. So when we study them, we get to break the spell a little bit. And yet it's our most intimate, vulnerable aspects of ourselves, our delusions. You know, you confess your delusion and with someone together and you're, you're, that's intimacy. That's intimacy, you know. In fact, I always thought that if I was ever in a position to interview uh, like a Zen teacher who we were going to hire, I, this is what I think now. If I was going to enter, this is what the question is I'd ask if I was interviewing a Zen teacher, a new Zen teacher, I'd say, what have you learned about your delusion? What have you learned about the aggression of your ego? I'd really love to hear about that. How do you arouse practice when you're triggered? How do you remember to return to your vow when you're really pissed off or you know, um, so just saying. Uh, so then the second class, um, we're going to really focus on uh, arousing practice. And I'm actually going to teach four different uh, strategies for arousing practice. And I'm not going to say it tonight. Ha ha. Get have a little, you know, teaser for the class. So, uh, and then maybe I'll come back and give a talk. About but for now... Uh, what does this mean? I'll just say, what do we mean? What does Dogen mean by arousing practice? Well, um, pretty soon I'm going to ask you what you think about all this, but first I'll say what I think about it. For me, it means reconnecting with my vow. Reconnecting with my vow, with my trust in absolute reality. Because delusion is really in the relative reality realm. Delusion is the king and the queen of the relative reality realm. You know, it's kind of the engine of how we function in relative in the relative realm, our daily lives. Um, but let's think for a moment, um, the ultimate reality, I mean, the truth of interdependence I'm not separate from the causal network of my life. I am not separate from the causal network of my life. I am actually part of a larger story of causes and conditions that have brought me to this very place. And the choices that I make in this moment about how I will employ my body, speech, and mind will impact what happens next. And I'm not going to get into it, but that's the 12-fold chain. Those of you that are, you know, in, into that. I mean, this is, this is also, that's the same teaching. 
you know, kind of along at about six o'clock is the point where you can actually intervene and you can change the course of what plays out by your awareness of your cognition. And are you going to perseverate in the cognitive obsession or are you going to step back and are you going to, you know, um, reconnect and realize this? No, I'm not. I'm not separate from this causal network of my life. And then there's also the ultimate truth of impermanence. And I think some of the delusion, I know for me, part of the motivation I have for grasping things and making stories out of things is because um, I'm afraid. Because I'm afraid of change. Because I'm afraid of not knowing. And it feels a lot more secure to have a story, especially a familiar story that I can rest in about who, why I think it's happening and who I think I am and who I think they are way more safe than I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea why they did that. I have no idea if it's ever going to get better. That's scary. And so we cling, and so we grasp. And yet, the truth is that we don't know and that it's always changing every single moment. And so again, it's this, this uh, thing that can feel, oh, this is really, uh, wow, Kathy's really the bear of bad news tonight, but it's actually the teaching of liberation. And there's a great joy. There's a great joy when we finally just surrender to not knowing and by the same token surrender to interdependence the rest of the of the little uh teaching that dogan starts by saying um arousing practice in the midst of delusion we attain, we attain realization before we um re recognize it the rest of that a uh, beautiful paragraph goes, at this time, you first know that the raft of discourse is like yesterday's dream, delusion, boop, boop. and you finally cut off your old understanding, bound up in the vines and serpents of words. Okay, that's exactly what I, I've been trying to help illustrate here. This raft of discourse, like yesterday's dream, an old understanding bound in the vines and serpents of words. But when you arouse practice, you actually are finally cutting that off. And um, skipping ahead a little bit, you turn the eye of enlightenment and then you reflect back on the realm of practice and nothing in particular hits the eye and you just see white clouds for 10,000 miles. I remember the first time I read that we were in Joshua tree, Jean was climbing with a friend and I, and, and I was sitting there, I think we had the dog and I was sitting there with the dog and I was looking out over this desert wash at Joshua tree and I'd never read Dogen before. And I opened it up and I read that paragraph and I just went, oh, right. 
turning the eye of enlightenment and reflecting back on the realm of practice, nothing in particular hits the eye and you just see white clouds for 10,000 miles. And then a little earlier though, he says that this, this activity, this enlightenment, he says, is not made to happen by Buddha. It's not, it, Buddha doesn't do it. It's accomplished by your all-encompassing effort. You're arousing your practice. That's what makes this happen, not Buddha. If you arouse practice as thought climbing the steps of enlightenment, not even a speck of dust will support your feet. So don't think of it as, you know, steps of enlightenment. That will have you be as far from true practice as heaven is from earth. Just step back and leap beyond the Buddha land. So that's a little bit of a flavor of uh, the arousing practice in the midst of delusion teaching that, um, again, I'll offer in two pieces, focusing on the delusion part and focusing on the arousing of practice part. I do have more um, notes and things I could say, but I'd much rather first hear what your interest is, what your questions are, and then maybe I can speak a little more uh, based on what your uh, questions or interests are about this subject. So I'm gonna be scanning the room and I'm also gonna be looking at the Zoom people if one of you um, wants to speak, but maybe you can raise your hand and then I can call on you if you'd like to say something or ask a question. Charlie. Thank you, Charlie. Yes, Sarah. Well, I'm so inspired by your talk and I'm really looking forward to the class. I'm going to be in Green Gulch maybe in the middle of March, but maybe I can come back early to be there for the second one. And I just wanted to say that, yeah, it's totally true that, I mean, like I've been going through the same pattern like over and over again since I was a child, you know, things have happened to me as a kid and these same things just keep happening. And I know that the same thing is happening, but it's like it's so hard to just get out of it, you know, and it's it's like, damn, you know, thing is happening again. And then, you know, and then I'll feel free for a while and be like, yeah, I'm good now, I'm free, I can just be in the moment, you know. And then slowly but surely it kind of creeps in again. And so it's it's continue. I mean, I feel like the only way to get through it is continuous practice and uh, just be aware of it and just have support from you know reading the Dharma, studying and just being a Sangha and 
So I'm really excited that uh, you're offering us. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I'll, I'll say something personal um, about what you just said. It, it's super hard. It's really hard. I mean, this is like the hardest thing. Nobody wants to do this. We love our stories. And we, we're, you know, we put ourselves in affinity with other people who agree with our stories, right? So this is, this is really going against the current, against the grain. That's why I think Buddha, this is the radical teaching of Buddha's liberation, is that we actually, you know, do have some agency in what, how we employ our body, speech, and mind. And um, I think sometimes, you know, um, we need to employ um, psychology, uh, you know, therapy, um, you know, other kinds of, you know, soul practices. Uh, you know, there's lots of different things that um, that we can uh, do to try to help us uh, with with this situation. So I don't mean to in any way uh, imply that it's a snap of the finger. I mean, I have some things, I just turned 70, and I have some things that I'm just barely now feeling like I can start uh, uh, in intervening in some of the, the really old, old, ancestrally old um, complexes, you know, the, the, the voice of scarcity from my ancestors, or the voice of aloneness, or hunger from childhood or from my father's childhood, the epigenetic stuff that we actually inherit. It's, you know, it takes, a, it's, it's quite, it takes a lot of work, but yeah, like you said, continuous practice and there's tremendous support in the Dharma, tremendous support in the Dharma for this effort. So thank you. Anybody from the Zoom? I just want to make sure I'm not ignoring you. I couldn't yeah. hear what Charlie said. Can Charlie you said, that, yeah, he said that uh, he's been studying a priori, the concept for a really long time. And that one of the things that he is a clue to understanding what it means is the word prior that's nested in the middle of a priori, that you're basically not even in the moment because you've already, it's already happened. You're, you're, you know, you've already made it happen by your thinking about it rather than actually being available to experience what might happen that's different from your prior story. Is that what you said? Deducing what is going to happen prior to the moment. Deducing what is going to happen prior to the moment. Thanks for asking. Did I see a hand over here? No? Uh, did I? Oh, over here. Sure. Yeah. Oh, it just, uh, it, uh, I kind of thought about the general, like how we're letting go of our stories is, is really a lot of what we do in the spinning is we, we're going, oh, there's that story, you know, and then and we come back to. Uh, when we when we're sitting or practicing, recognizing our stories arising. Yes. And and that can be very helpful. Sorry, remember. Um, and one thing that I found that uh, an idea that seems like it resonates with this is the don't know mind. Mm. And sort of allowing the don't know mind. <laughs> to come in instead of the, I have this 
story figured out and I'm asserting that that attorney came up with the ego. The aggression of the ego? Yeah. That's from yeah. Catherine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So activating, arousing, don't know mind. You're saying for you, that's a helpful uh, kind of counter counterpoint, counterbalance to the story making tendency is to welcome and activate the don't know, don't know mind. Yeah. 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 And again, so many of our stories in this tradition give us beautiful um, examples of ancestors activating that and, and goading, not goading, but poking each other to activate don't know mind yeah yeah Shishachi. um thank you very much for this topic and how you're doing it stirring it it's really good um <clears throat> just two things and i know they're just comments more than anything when, when you said a priori um the way that was explained to me in a different context was always already Mm, always and, already. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, that's kind of neutral in a way of intent, but it doesn't it doesn't contradict what you're talking about. It's like something that's always already been so, right? So that's how I kind of translate it. Yeah. Um, and then another thing is just a comment on uh, delusions and not talking about delusions. And when I've been around recently, and you might notice here too, uh, it seems like well, he even said in the vows, he's kind of saying delusions are nevertheless, I vow to be integral. Yeah. Or I vow to embrace them, or I vow to be kind to them. So it's kind of like any of these entanglements where we're like, this keeps happening. He just keeps going, be kind. Be kind. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, before anything, be kind. And that, that really helps because don't we have such a tendency to just, it's not quite attack, but it's it's a different kind of aggression. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah. So I don't know if you could hear that or not on the Zoom, but it's a, a, a comment about um, the that nowadays Reb is saying, you know, be kind to your, to your delusions. <laughs> and actually that intimate, 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 intimate. Yeah, this is how we keep them really close. Keep them really close. Well, and also I think we learn from them because there is this tendency where we want to outcast these parts of ourselves. You know, uh, the the part. I mean, I'm I'm I am I feel shame about the aggression of my ego. I don't like that about myself. You know, I'm a nice person. I I don't like the thought that my that I have an aggressive ego. Right. And so it's very easy to kind of split and to outcast those parts of ourselves or, you know, the part of myself that's always doing this thing that I really don't want to do, but it keeps doing it. 
And no matter how hard I try and how many courses I do and how many, you know, practice periods I go to, it keeps happening. And I just feel like a complete failure about it and how easy it would be to just get mad at that one and just really, really mad at it. And I'm finding that that, that it's way more helpful. Like you said, you too. You too. You're, you're, you, you too. Now, I'm not going to let that one drive the bus. I'm not going to let one drive the bus, but that one is welcome at my table. Yeah. There was some ceremony there. You guys helped me. Um, you were part of it. it was, uh, we were off making all the offerings. Was it Temple of Ghosts or something? Yeah. And you just basically say, oh, you guys that you've exiled. And yeah. All the things we judged and Jane would go, come on in here. Yeah. 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 And this is, you know, the way that practice can really just keep evolving and turning. And maybe there's a time in our practice when we have to be kind of more fierce with ourselves. You know, and I do think sometimes, you know, that Manjushri sword, you know, sometimes you do have to cut it off. You have to end it. You know, I mean, I don't know if you ever had your Zen teacher ever say to you, stop it. <laughs> but it can be really good medicine. But it can also drive you out the door and you never come back, you see. And that's that's hard, right? And because and, we don't ultimately know. So sometimes that kind of ferocity cutting can be really, really, really helpful. And sometimes it can be super not helpful, you know. And so we're, we're always kind of working with these with these parts, with these tendencies. And I think just, you know, keep, we just keep noticing ultimately what is allowing for more liberation. And then certainly, I think a lot of us are finding that bringing in some kindness for the family is helpful. And listening, listening to that one. Tell me why you are the way you are, little outcast, you know. Tell me why you're doing what you're doing. I promise I won't get mad. I promise I'll listen. And then maybe you learn something really important about yourself. Yeah. Ah, well, we, we're almost at the end of, of our time. Um, I'm, I think that's probably all I want to say. So um, thank you all for coming. So good to see you all there, all these different people. And I guess you're all on the wall too. So all the people in the room can, can see you and people in the room, friends, old and new. Okay, then that's it for tonight. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's ways unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I am to
I'm <laughs> 